The Secret Library Podcast is brought to you in part by our brilliant Patreon community. To show your support and get weekly writing pep talks at the salon level, check out patreon.com slash secret library. This is The Secret Library Podcast. Welcome to season four, The Visible Writer. We'll be dismantling what it means to be visible as a writer and how visibility impacts us and our writing. We're also excited to make this show more visible. If this episode is inspiring for you, please share it with a friend and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you. It means the world and helps these conversations impact more people. Kicking us off for the season, today my guest is Alexandra Franzen. Alexandra Franzen is a writer, consultant, and entrepreneur based in Hawaii. Her sixth book is The Checklist Book, Set Realistic Goals, Celebrate Tiny Wins, Reduce Stress and Overwhelm, and Feel Calmer Every Day. Other books include You're Going to Survive and So This is the End, A Love Story. She has written articles for Time, Forbes, Newsweek, The Huffington Post, and Lifehacker. Her work has been mentioned in the New York Times Small Business Blog, The Atlantic, The Los Angeles Times, and Inc., She writes about a wide range of topics, life, love, death, grief, unplugging from technology, creativity, focus, productivity, simplicity, time, and how we spend it. She's the founder of the Tiny Press, a publishing imprint specializing in very short books, 100 pages or less. Tiny Press books include Say It Now by Sherry Richard-Balool, number one Amazon new release, Wish Work by Alexa Fisher, and Your Next Level Life by Karen Arrington. I was really happy to have Alexandra on. She's been a a couple of times a guest on The Secret Library. But when I think about visibility, I think about the ways that we need or feel we need to put ourselves out there and to share what we're doing and to be visible and identify as writers in the public space. And one of the most common ways that we all do this these days is on social media. And knowing that Alexandra has a successful career and deleted all of her accounts over six years ago, I knew that she was the one I wanted to start with. I wanted us to define visibility on our own terms. And even as social media and other online tools can be incredibly powerful, I wanted to start our foundation here, questioning the rules about what we think we have to do. And Alexandra did not disappoint. I'm thrilled to share this conversation with you, and I hope it helps you ask really important questions about what's important to you and your writing. So let's kick off this season with Alexandra Franzen. Hey, Alex, it's so great to have you back on. Hello, thanks for having me back on. It's great to be back. So as we as we mentioned before starting, our theme is the visible writer. And for many people, including my students and clients, there is a question that comes up at some point, which is, what am I supposed to do about my social media presence? And how am I supposed to be a quote, real writer and put myself out there in a meaningful way? And I wanted to start the season with you because 
your answer is you don't have to do it at all. And there is a totally different way to approach it. So I wanted to talk about what is visible, being visible mean to you as a writer and how have you defined that in the way that you have? Yeah, I love this conversation. I think that nowadays, so many people really measure success by how many followers you have on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or YouTube or blip blop or whatever the new (laughs) thing is. And, And that is certainly, you know, one metric of success that you can look at if that's meaningful to you, but it's not necessarily the only one or the most important one, (laughs) in my opinion. And, um, you know, one thing, I mean, I, I deleted all of my social media accounts over six years ago, which is a story that we could go into later if you want. But, um, one question that I love asking writers, writer friends and clients and colleagues of mine is to really think about like, for example, with your next book that's coming out, let's say you have a new book coming out in six months or a year or whatever, whether you're self-publishing or not, um, what does success really mean to you for this book? Like in your definition, what would that mean? Um, And to get really specific about it, like, does success mean that you throw a beautiful, intimate dinner party for you and your closest family and friends, and you quietly celebrate this milestone together? Or does success mean that you print 100 copies of your book and you donate one copy to 100 public libraries around the country? Or does success mean that you sell 200 copies, and then you give 200 away to clients and colleagues and friends. Like there's so many different ways that you can feel successful with this project and having 10,000 followers on social media or being a New York Times bestseller might not be part of your personal definition of success. It might be, but it might not. Um, what do you think about that? Like, how do you define success? <laughs> I, I love it when I love it when people flip the flip the question. <laughs> I think I think for me, what what matters in terms of success is that the book gets into the hands of the people that will most benefit from reading it. Yeah, and. Because I frequently think about, and it's a question I ask students all the time, is if you imagine a book that you finished reading and you thought, wow, that really changed my life. And then you imagine that writer sitting there deciding whether or not to continue writing, wonder if there was any point, like, oh, why am I doing this? And if they said, you know what, nobody's going to care. This doesn't matter. Imagine them not writing it. And how would that change your life? And then imagine the people in the future who may benefit from your book and whether or not they get to have it. So for me, success is they get to have it. Yeah, I love that. And I love the way you described it as like, success for me means that my book is getting into the hands of the people who need it most. And another um, sentiment that I really love sharing with people and that I remind myself all the time is if my project, if my essay or article or story or book 
helps even just one person. Like if this book changes or saves one person's life, that's a big deal because touching one human being is a big deal. Every human life is a big deal. And I remember a few years ago, I was working with a woman who was writing a very personal, vulnerable book about um, losing her partner to suicide and what she learned from that experience. And she was writing a book for survivors, right? For the family members, for the loved ones who have lost someone to suicide. And she said, you know, with total conviction, like, if this book reaches one person who is grieving and alone and helps even just one person to have a moment of peace, then this whole project is worth it to me. Um, and she decided to self-publish that book, release a digital version for free so that it could just get into the hands of anyone and everyone who needed it. And she also donated numerous copies to hospitals and mental health clinics and other places. So like you said, so that it could be just passed around and find its way into the hands of the people who need it that book most. And I think she's also selling it as well. So again, like she decided, um, I'm not going to worry about whether this book becomes a number one bestseller on Amazon. What I care about is getting this book out there and creating success on my own terms and making sure that I'm making sure it's getting into the hands of people who need it most. And I find that so inspiring. I do too. I think that it's so easy for us to forget to define what success means for us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so different for every author and it's so different for every book even, right? Like you may write one book and you're like, this book is just for my family. This is family history. This is memoir. I want to pass this book down to my kids so that they know like the real stories about their mom. And maybe for that particular book, success just means I finished it. You know, I finished it. I finished writing. I can hold the book in my hands and I can give it to my kids. And that is that on that, <laughs> you know, like maybe that's success for that particular project. And then maybe there's another project a couple of years down the road where your definition of success for that project is a little different. Maybe for that one, you're like, you know what? I do want this book to have a wider audience. I want it in public libraries. I want it in schools. I want to sell it on Amazon. I'm going to create a marketing plan and be more assertive in getting this book out there in the world. So yeah, I think success can mean such different things for different people at different times and for different books. And I think going back to what we mentioned at the beginning, like that central question is just sitting down with a clear mind and asking yourself, what does success mean for me for this project? And defining that so that you can pursue that instead of chasing someone else's version of success, a million YouTube followers or whatever the case may be. Yep. I'm, as somebody who has gone many different routes with different projects that you have, I mean, you've done everything from traditional publishing to, I don't really know how I feel about this. So I'm going to send it out in an email and see what happens to, <laughs> um, 
you know, a wide variety of options. If somebody's goal is a wider audience and they do want to reach more people, but they don't want to be visible in a social media format, how do you marry those two desires of, I want to be visible in this way, but I really don't want to be visible in that way? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, so in our in our culture today, I think that when we think marketing, we most people immediately think social media. It's like you you just have to, right? You have to use social media. You have to build a big following. That's the number one and best way to create an audience for your work. That's what most people assume because that's I guess the most common nowadays. Um but I really challenge and push against that. And I, I try to remind people, I actually have a course where I teach on this. I know. Marketing without social media course. <laughs> I thought that <laughs> might come up because it seems quite appropriate. Yeah. And what I, what I remind people in that course is that social media is one tool, right? Social media is one way that you can you know, announce your project to the world and build an audience and build excitement and get book sales. It's one tool, but it's not the only tool. There are so many other things you can do to spread the word about your book. And in fact, the other day, just a couple of days ago on my website, I posted a list of 21 different things you can do to sell your book or your artwork or your product or your service without using social media. Um, so maybe we could provide the link to that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's free. It's a free resource so people can go check it out. But you know, just to rattle off a couple of ideas, you can do podcast appearances, right? Like we're recording a podcast right now. Mm-hmm. You can pitch yourself to podcast hosts. You can get booked as a guest. That can be an opportunity to talk about your book and, and share. Same thing, you can do radio appearances. You can do TV show appearances. You can do. Um, you can start a newsletter. That's something that I've relied on. And you can grow a mailing list and then talk to those people. You can collaborate with other authors and do kind of like joint promotion kind of thing. Um, you can pitch yourself to journalists and to the media. You can get your book featured in gift guides and magazines. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. But my point is there are literally an unlimited number of things that you can do to build awareness for your book and get book sales. And social media can be part of your strategy if you want, but it is optional, <laughs> not mandatory. And and I know some people listening might be hearing this and going like, I don't believe you. <laughs> you <know>? like, <laughs> I often get a lot of pushback from people being like, but really, but don't, you know, and So a great question to consider if you're having some skepticism is, you know, think about the last 10 books or products that you bought. Think about the last 10 books you bought or the last 10 products or people you hired, you know, freelancers or service providers or whatever. Why did you make those purchases? Was it because you saw something on Instagram and you just clicked purchase and that was that? Maybe. Or... More likely, you probably made that purchase because a friend recommended the book, right? Because a colleague said, this is amazing. You've got to check this out. Because, you know, your sister texted you and was like, girl, you need to buy this sweater or whatever. It's so soft. 
whatever the case may be, like if you really go through even your own purchasing history, you may start to see, oh, I actually bought these things because of a recommendation, because of a review, because three people told me about it, because, you know, because whatever, whatever. Social media may not actually be as big of a factor as you think it is, you know? Like, what about you? What are the last couple of things that you bought <laughs> and why? I know, I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, I bought some bras today uh, yeah, exactly. because a friend recommended them. That mm-hmm. was one. Um, yeah. I bought a toothbrush recently on the recommendation of my dentist. Mm-hmm. And I do though, sometimes buy books on Instagram. I'm not going to lie. Like I don't buy them on Instagram, but I see them there. So that does happen sometimes um, Mm -hmm. just because I follow book people. But uh, I I would say equally often is newsletters from people I trust. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a perfect example. Like for you, yeah, social media did play a role in a couple of those purchases but not all of them. And it probably mm-hmm. wasn't the only factor. Um, so again, I think the point that I try to make is social media is a great tool. And if you genuinely love using it and want to use it, then by all means use it. But if you don't like it, if it's not your favorite place to hang out, if you find it distracting, if you find it exhausting, if you have you know privacy or ethical concerns about social media, as many people do, like if you don't want to use it, or if you want to use it very, very little, like in a very limited, intentional way, then that's great. And you can absolutely have a wonderful career as a writer without it. And there's many examples of people for whom that's true. Um, If you go, I mean, many successful authors do use social media, but many don't. And again, looping back to the beginning, Success also means different things to different people. And it also evolves over time, which is something I've enjoyed watching because I um, am a giant Virgo nerd. So as a result, I keep track of what I read. And I also, because I'm somebody who thinks about publishing and putting books out, I keep a little database of the book I'm reading and who the person's, like, was it self-published or who is the publisher? Who's the person's agent? You know, what do I think of? What are the themes? Like, this is really level 12 Virgo. But, (laughs) but, and I also put the author's website on because if I really love the book, I'm like, well, then maybe I want to talk to this person. And I have noticed, you know, you used to believe you had to have a website. And I often, relatively frequently, And this is more common with traditionally published authors, but I will find an author where their whole web presence is a page on their publisher's site and that is it. And they want to be left alone. Yes. They've got a published book, guys. (laughs) There's no social media. There's not even a website. It's amazing to me. So I love this. I love discovering kind of like internet dropouts, people who really push against the grain of what's normal or conventional nowadays. Like I've discovered authors as well who don't have social media, don't have a website, don't even have an email address. Like there is no way to contact them. Um, There was one, I wish I could remember their name, but the statement on their website, they did have a website and there was a Mm -hmm. contact page 
but the contact page, instead of having a form or an email, basically just said like, if you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm really flattered and honored. That's very kind of you. However, all of my time is currently spoken for. Bye. <laughs> like there was, there was, was it like Cal no- Newport. I feel like it sounds like, <laughs> yes. is it Cal yes. Newport? I'm like, it sounds like him. Right. And I just thought that was so wonderful. And I think what I love about that, I get so excited about seeing people like question things, right. And really ask questions like, okay, everybody says I need to have a website. I need to have a Facebook presence. I need to have a mailing list. I need to have an email address. I need to have this. I need to have that. But do I really like, Mm -hmm. do I really? Um, And I love people who question and question and question and really like come up with their own answers, you know, and Cal Newport, thank you for remembering his name. Um, he's an immensely successful author, you know, yeah. he's written numerous best-selling books who have, that have made a huge impact on people's lives. And he's a great example of someone who is doing things his own way and by his own philosophy or code. And I think that's really, really cool. I just love discovering people like that. Yeah, I love Cal Newport for that reason, because, I mean, he's talking about, I mean, we've got deep work and then digital minimalism. I mean, it would be kind of weird if he had a huge digital presence. That doesn't (laughs) seem like it would line up well. Um, But that's a book that's, both of them are pretty viral in terms of how they've come out. And I guess the question is, I mean, they're traditionally published. He's an academic, so he may have some cachet and options there. But it's not because he's, there's plenty of people who are, who are academics who do feel the necessity to be on social media. So it's, yeah. how do you want to spend your time? Right. That's, question. that's a point that Cal makes in one of those books. I think it's in deep work, which is yeah. on the book. Show. I know I've got, I'm like, right. <laughs> yeah. um, Cal makes the point that, you know, really at the end of the day, <laughs> the best way to create a book that a lot of people purchase and read is to create a book that is so remarkable and helpful and excellent and special that it really moves people and it makes such an impact on people's lives that they can't stop talking about it. And so to create a work of art like that it takes focus and it takes concentration and it requires, you know, really unlocking all of the brilliance inside of you. So he makes the point, you know, look, you only have 24 hours in a day. Do you want to spend your time frittering around on Instagram and Twitter and, you know, posting somewhat entertaining, inspiring little tidbits here and there, or would you rather reclaim that time and use it to create a book that is the greatest work you can possibly create. Like you have to decide where your mental energy and time is going. And he argues rather than investing a thousand hours of your life into growing a large Instagram following, what if you invested a thousand hours of your life into creating the most remarkable book that you can possibly create so that people talk about it, you know, so that they are moved to talk about it and recommend it to their friends. 
And that's an idea that just really like grabs me by the heart. I resonate with that so much. I love the idea of, you know, really asking yourself, what is the best and highest use of my time? And how can I reclaim time that was going towards sort of, you know, somewhat superficial or shallower types of work and pour it into what I really want to be doing and make it great. I love that idea. I love it too. And it's, I just had this thought as you were talking about it and I got really excited, which is, and as someone who also teaches courses about writing books, there's this argument that comes up a lot. And I don't know if people present it to you, which is that they don't want to read inside the genre they're working on. And they're worried about like, sponging off other people. I mean, I teach a lot about writing fiction. So people are often doubtful about reading stuff. And to me, that's like driving, driving a car without any fuel. It's like, if you're not reading while writing, it's really difficult. So that's one side of it. So people are really fearful of that. Yet they think nothing of consuming all of this social media and consuming other people's opinions about what's important and what isn't. And I think that's just you have to consider them the same way. It's like, okay, I'm not allowed to read anything that feels delicious, but I am allowed to, you know, dump all of this input about people looking really polished and presenting in a certain way. And this is how I'm supposed to be. Um, So I think about like, what is the quality input and what is really going to support you? Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I read somewhere that, you know, they do studies every year about um, how much time are people spending on their phones? How much time are people spending on social media? How many texts, how many emails? And the numbers are pretty staggering. Like a typical American, North American, United States person nowadays is spending 144 minutes a day using social media. That's over two hours. And I know a lot of people might think like, that's not possible. I'm not spending two hours a day on social media. But if you really start to add it up, like all the scrolling, all the reading, all the commenting, all the lurking, all the clicking and liking and, you know, checking to see who posted a comment about that thing that you posted yesterday, if you really add it all up, it does add up to a lot of time. And I think we, whether it's social media or any other kind of input, I think to your point, it's so important to be aware of like, what am I feeding my brain every day? And am I, am I consuming things that are inspiring me and energizing me and helping me? Or am I consuming things that just kind of clog up my time and clog up my head and aren't particularly helpful? right now? Uh, I think that's a really important question. I know that like, when I have days where I'm a little lax on my internet policies, and I'm kind of just like checking my email all day and reading this blog and that and bopping around. Those are usually the days that I feel a little mentally fatigued. And it's hard to then sit down and create. Um, Whereas if I sit down in the morning with a fresh brain, and I haven't been bipping and bopping around in my inbox for, you know, a couple hours, 
I just feel so much more clear and refreshed and sharp. And I'm able to write, you know, so much faster. Um, I think that that's real. So yeah, we all need to be aware of our digital consumption (laughs) and how it affects our energy levels for sure. I think it also speaks to validation in a way, because another part of being visible is identifying publicly as a writer. And that is a huge hurdle for a lot of people. They get to this point. And and I think that like we mentioned about success earlier, we maybe haven't thought about how to define success for a project, but I think many people don't think about, oh, I'm allowed to define what being a writer means for me. It always feels like some club that people feel like they have to prove they're allowed to be a part of. And so they're looking for outside validation, often from other writers on social media as to what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And oh, this is, for me, this is such an interesting one because on the one hand, you know, it's never healthy, whether you're a writer or any other profession to like, need external validation in order to feel okay, right? Like that's not a healthy dynamic (laughs) to be in, whether you're a chef or a teacher or a writer or whatever. But on the other hand, you know, artists make art, writers write for a variety of reasons. And one of those reasons for many people is the desire to make an impact, right? You have a desire that I'm going to write something and it's going to make a difference in someone's day. They're going to feel entertained. They're going to laugh. They're going to release some stress. They're going to learn something. So it's totally understandable then that if you have a desire to make an impact, you want to see evidence that that impact is being made, right? Like you want to get fan mail. You want to get positive reviews. You want to get people commenting and saying, thank you for sharing. I loved this. So I think it's like, we, we just have to find that healthy balance in the middle, right? Where you're not like dependent upon an influx of external validation in order to feel okay, but you're also okay with the fact that, yeah, I, I do want some, I want some and that's okay too. Um, but can I find that middle ground? Like <laughs> I remember a, a woman said to me years and years ago, um, like, You want to imagine that if you're a cup, um, you can fill yourself up to the brim with, you know, self-esteem. You can feel great just as you are. And then if you happen to get a five-star review or a piece of fan mail or an amazing comment or some kind of external validation, okay, now your cup is overflowing, but it was already full to begin with, because, you know, you filled it yourself. And I really love that visual. And I think that's, that's a, that's a very healthy approach. Not always easy, but uh, that's kind of how I I try to approach things as well. Yeah. It's, it's such a funny thing because working in a creative field means that you have to decide that you're in the club sort of like you have to fill the cup up, you have to stamp the membership card. Um, I mean, my joke is always that you never hear 
lawyers. I have many lawyer friends and they never say things like, oh, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't call myself a lawyer. I mean, I practice a little, but like, don't, don't tell anyone that I'm a lawyer because there is an authority granting institution out there that decides if you're allowed to practice or not, but we don't have that as writers. And so you have to decide for yourself. And I think for a lot of people, that's really hard. And being visible with that and owning it and stating it out in a public way, um, that can be scary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so funny you said that. You reminded me of a story about feeling like I'm not a real writer. or oh, I'm not... a real writer is so brutal. Yeah, so I remember this was shortly after my very, very first book came out. And my, my, well, I should say my first book that came out through a publisher that wasn't a self-published project or something like that. Um, so it was, it was a book, it was, uh, the genre would be considered like gift book, right? Like the kind of book that is sort of an impulse buy at the stationery store when you're coming up to the cash register. And it was called 50 Ways to Say You're Awesome. And every page of the book had like a creative way to tell someone you're awesome. You're amazing. I love you. Thank you. So it's kind of like a book of funny compliments and each one was illustrated. And then on the back of the page was sort of like a fill in the blank note card so that you could write a, a thank you note, a gratitude note to someone that you care about. So it was a very like sweet childlike playful kind of book. Um, you know, it was not a novel. It was not a 300 page long, you know, work of historical fiction or whatever. It was, it was just like a fun, fun book, little book candy. And I remember I was so proud to get a book deal. It was my first book deal, you know, that definitely had that flavor of external validation. I was so proud to hold the book in my hands. I loved how it turned out. And also I had, <laughs> I definitely had that feeling of, well, let's not celebrate too much because come on, you know, this is not war and peace here. Like this is a fun, cutesy, cutesy little book. That's basically a glorified collection of postcards. <laughs> like, um, and so I kind of started to get critical of myself and, and even when friends and colleagues would celebrate or try to celebrate with me. Congratulations, your book came out. It's so pretty. I would kind of deflect and be like, oh, no, 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 no. Come on, come on. Like, it's not. And I think I would even say like, it's not a real book. Mm. Um, and I said that so many times to one friend in particular that she started to get annoyed at me. <laughs> and she said like, stop it stop it already. Let, a, let me be happy for you. Like, let me be excited for you. This is exciting. And I always remember that, like how I had that tendency to deflect and kind of knock myself down a peg. And I was very sure to remind people like, oh, no, 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 no. It's not a real book. I mean, yes, it's exciting, but, but not that exciting. So all of that. Um, and what's funny though, is that if you have that, that feeling inside of, I'm not a real writer, it's not a real book, it's not a big deal, 
et cetera, it almost doesn't matter what you create. Like that ghost is going to keep haunting you. It's like, you know, oh, it's not a real book because it's it's not a work of fiction. Oh, it's not a real book because it's not a bestseller. Oh, it's not a real book because I'm not with a top five publisher. Oh, it's not a real book. Be- I mean, you could just go on and on and on and on and keep convincing yourself that you're not a real artist or you're not a real writer or whatever um, until one day you just change your mind <laughs> and decide yeah. Feeling differently about yourself. Yeah, because if you don't, you may not keep, you know, you may not continue. I mean, it's, I think you want, if you're going to do something, which is wonderful writing books, but it is on some level crazy, you know, it's a crazy thing that we do, but it's a beautiful thing, then you kind of have to be on your own side. Yes. I love how you put that. (laughs) So true. You have to be on your own side. Because, I mean, you know, you, you work on a project, you may work on a project for months or years with no sense of exactly what the outcome is going to be. We have far more options now than we ever have, but you don't know exactly what the outcome and you kind of have to write not thinking about the outcome at all or else it will distract you. And so to tolerate that, I think you just have to decide I'm writing this no matter what. Yeah. I think too, also like, this is something that I've really come to believe and that I also try to remind writers there's so many different kinds of art and books and so many different kinds of medicine that the world needs, right? Like I think of every book as a kind of medicine for the world. And there's the medicine of joy and laughter and childlike silliness. And there's the medicine of calm and peace. And there's the medicine of like, you know, fire, like motivating someone to take action. There's all kinds of medicine that the world needs because the world is in a lot of pain, right? And so if you create like a really simple, sweet children's book that is so simple with just, you know, illustrate, not just, but with illustrations that you've done, that you doodled by hand and nothing fancy, you know, that's, that's powerful medicine. That's, the medicine of joy and simplicity and sweetness and childlike wonder. And that's going to make an impact on someone. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, if you write a deeply well-researched, profound book on, you know, the history of racism in America and what we can do about it, that too is a type of medicine that the world needs. And that is very important as well, of course, But what I'm getting at is like, I think often writers get into the mindset of like, if I'm not writing, you know, the next great American novel, or if I'm not writing a 400 page, you know, super well-researched book with a million footnotes (laughs) at the bottom and a thousand citations, then I'm not a real writer or I'm not creating something good or worthy. And my my stance is like, there's so many, there's an infinite number of good, you know, there's so many kinds of 
medicine that you can create and, and it's all needed. Um, we need it all. So we need the sweet, delightful, candy-colored book about how to say thank you to people you love. And we need the huge novel about, you know, sailing across the ocean and having a fantastical adventure. And like, and we need everything in between. And it's all good. <laughs> that was kind of a long, a long circuitous. No, it was, <laughs> well, we needed all of it. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, because we have this need to classify and rank and get into hierarchies. I mean, I will not get on my soapbox about how we're educated to receive a number from someone else that says how well we've done. And yes, it's valuable to know if you've learned something or not, but I think that it's so internalized that we forever are trying to figure out where we fit in the hierarchy. And this happens in writing as well. It's like, oh, there's, you know, people who write nonfiction. I mean, Susan Orlean has been on the show twice and I don't think she'll mind me calling her out, but she wasn't saying I just write nonfiction, but she was saying that there was a difference in the way that you promote it and the way that it happens. But she did make it sound a little bit in one episode, like, well, I just write nonfiction. And I was like, come on. And <laughs> so even someone who's, you know, well known for what they do still can have that. And then even people who write fiction can say, well, I just write cozy mysteries or, oh, I just, I just write science fiction, which is incredibly difficult to write. So it's just, there's always this, I'm going to one down myself from I'm the real arrival point. Yes. Maybe we need to remove the word just. Oh. From our vocabulary, like no more. Oh, I just write children's books. I just write poetry. I just write short stories. I just write like no more. Just I write. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Are there words coming out onto the page? Then yeah. that is writing. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's it's, tough, it's, I it's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no more just. That's our, no our more just. 2021. Yeah, exactly. No more jests. I think that's, I think that would go a huge distance towards making people feel better, but we just, they, uh, I said it, I said it, <laughs> I said it, I said just, we, we don't think we're allowed to claim this. And we don't think we're allowed to step out because in many ways, creative people are often the more sensitive or in order to be creative, you have to question, like you said, you have to step outside of the lines. You have to look at things from the different direction, maybe upside down or from a different point of view. And so you have this feeling of not fitting and there is a craving to fit, especially if you're out there. And I always think of Brene Brown saying, okay, well, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks if they don't have, I'm totally botching her quote and I apologize, but it's like, if they don't have skin in the game, then it doesn't matter what they say about what you're doing. Yeah. And I think yeah. daring greatly. Yeah. So true. Um, Okay, something just popped into my head. This might mm. be fun. 
our listeners to do. Um, so uh, kind of connecting back to the idea of deciding what success means to you personally, whether it's, you know, how you define success for a particular book or even for your whole life. Um, a really simple exercise that I love is I have my, have my poster on my wall right now, but I took a huge piece of paper, like a big piece of poster paper and a bulletin board and a big black Sharpie marker pen. And at the top, you write, before I die, I will dot, dot, dot. Before I die, I will, and then fill in the blank. Write down you know, however many you want, maybe two things, maybe three things, maybe five, maybe 10, a couple of either things that you definitely want to accomplish or experiences that you want to have or things that you want to learn, what you want to do, you know, before you die. And it was really interesting. I, I do this exercise every year or so, and sometimes my answers change. Sometimes they don't, but like I'll read mine right now. Okay. So before I die, I will help 1000 people to write a book. That was the first thing I put down. And I picked a thousand people because it sounded kind of ambitious, but also sort of doable, you know, like, <laughs> um, I'm not, I, if I help, you know, if I have maybe a hundred people in one of my courses every year, then, you know, as the years go along, like we're going to hit that number. So I picked that. Um, I will write 10 books of my own. Um, notice I didn't say I will write 10 New York Times bestselling books. <laughs> Just like, I'm going to write 10 books, you know? Yeah. And maybe some will be novels and maybe some will be nonfiction and maybe some will be self-published and maybe some will be through traditional publishers. Um, so you also far, said write and not publish. Yes, that's true. Yeah, it's for me, it's more about that. I will complete them, you know, mm -hmm. I will. 10 books. I didn't say I will write 10 great books or 10 books that change the world. <laughs> Just I will write 10 books of my own before I die. Um, we're currently, I think, six out of 10 of the way there. So again, I'm kind of choosing goals that are sort of, I know I can do, but maybe that's part of the point. <laughs> uh, I'm going to spend before I die, I will spend 10 days in a row completely unplugged from technology, no phone, no computer, nothing. That is an experience that I want to have at some point in my life, 10 days completely unplugged. Um, before I die, I will learn three magic tricks. I am obsessed with magicians and card <laughs> <laughs> I want to learn three. Um, before I die, I will become an early person, meaning that person who's just 15 minutes early for everything and just sort of saunters in cool as a cucumber, <laughs> 15 minutes early for the dental appointment or whatever. I long to be that person. And I have a couple of other things on my board mm. too, but, um, I just love this because if you write down your before I die list, then you are very clear. You know, you are very clear on what it is that you most want to do while you're here. And that then becomes 
the success that you are aiming for, right? And and if you put on your before I die list, I will write a New York Times bestseller before I die. Okay, great. I mean, that that is a goal that you can achieve. It is an achievable goal. People do it. You can do it. There's a process. There's a strategy. You can make that happen. And it can be a wonderful goal. Um, but that doesn't have to be the goal. There could be a lot of other things that you put on that board that are perhaps like really more meaningful to your heart. Um, so I don't know, an exercise maybe to do before I die, I will, and see what goes on your list. It might be some things that kind of surprise you. You might come up with things that hadn't occurred to you before. And of course, I need to flip the question to you. So what <laughs> on your before I die list? Well, there is one, actually. I remember reading when you first shared about this, and I had recently written a list that was somewhat similar, and I had also put a thousand, inspiring a thousand people to write books. Ooh, that's cool. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, we're on the same page. And it was funny because one of my students this summer started writing a novel and in the class, that was the point of the class. So this was not surprising. Um, but she told some friends that she was doing this and they were so excited that they both started writing novels as well. They didn't do it in my class, but I'm like, oh, that's three for one. Yes. <laughs> because I heard about it. I mean, if no one tells me about it, I'm not going to count it. I'm not going to like estimate. Well, that means that for every one person, I'm not going to do that. Yes. But I loved that so much that that was something that was possible. And then it, as soon as I defined it, and as soon as I wrote it down, it was starting to happen. Yes. Um, and there is something exciting about picking a number, you know, like oh, yeah. saying, I want to help, you know, a hundred families, or I want to help a thousand people. Or um, I did like a letter writing challenge years and years ago for National Letter Writing Week. And I don't know, I think maybe like 40 or 50 people signed up to do it, but each person wrote like seven letters over the course of a week. And so then we tallied it up at the end and we were like, wow, like that means I'm so bad at math, but you know, 350 <laughs> letters just got dropped into the mail and are now like circulating in the postal system. And it's fun to put a specific number on things and to pick a number that is both ambitious, but also doable, you know, so that you can really feel that sense of, I am progressing towards my goal and it feels really good. I think that's why people get hooked by social media, but it's so possible <laughs> yeah. to shift that into something else like this, yes. like oh how God. many books I write, how many students, you know, you can, you can get that hit of followers from something else, you know, how many scenes yes. are you going to write? How many, you know, how many books are you going to read? Like I, I have always loved figuring out how many books I can read in a year. That's always been a good, a good one. This is so genius. And <laughs> I mean, really it's like, okay, if we are as human beings, if we are just hardwired to be somewhat fixated on numbers, then let's know that about ourselves, but then let's transfer that to maybe like 
a healthier obsession. (laughs) How many, how many thank you letters can I write and pop into the mail? How many poems could I write, whether I think they're good or not, you know, Mm -hmm. how many people can I serve um, instead of how many likes can I get on this selfie that I posted? Um, I think that's so brilliant. Like we can transfer our number obsession to other pursuits that maybe feel more meaningful, satisfying, fulfilling in the long run. I definitely think so. And I think it's sort of, when you think about making this list, I can say things that would be on it, but I can also say things that would not be on it. And one of them is not, I had the most amazing social media account, fill in the blank. (laughs) That's probably not going to be on my list. I mean, my list has things like, I want somebody to mistake me for a native when I'm speaking German because my German's gotten that good living here. Not going to happen probably this year, but, um, (laughs) but it's, it's, it's a lot better than it was. Yes. And, and circling back to social media again, like social media is not bad. It's not inherently Mm -hmm. bad. It's not evil it's a tool, it's a platform. And, you know, if you decide before I die, I want to, I want to use my Instagram platform to motivate a thousand people to get outside and go hiking or whatever. Like if that's part of your vision, great. Again, like social media can totally be a tool that you use to achieve those things on your list but it doesn't have to be, and it's not the only option. Um, But I always like to reiterate that because I know there are some people who are like, I genuinely love social media. I love Instagram. I love Pinterest. It actually brings me a lot of fulfillment. And I think of it like an art project. And I don't want to like dump water on those people's joy (laughs) because um, it can totally be used to do beautiful things if you want to. Yeah, I think it's, I think it is wonderful for things like community activism, you know, for getting messages out, for mobilizing people to do wonderful things. But there, the goal is not how many followers or how many likes they get. The goal is like, we're going to subvert an oppressive system. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the people that are using it that way, they're not really that fired up about like, did they like this particular picture? That isn't the point. So I think it is about looking at the point and is this, I guess once you have your list of what you want to achieve, then you think about what is the best tool or the the best method or approach to achieve that goal. And if social media is the best one, then go for it. But if it's not, then you don't have to. Exactly, yeah. Is this the best and most effective tool for me, is this the best and most effective tool in my toolkit? Or are there other tools that I've totally forgotten about that I could be using instead? Um, that's a great question to consider. For or can I use it differently? I mean, I think that was something that happened as a podcaster. I am not a huge video person. It's just not, I like 
wear my bathrobe when I interview people, you know, yeah. it's cool. We don't <laughs> always do it. I less so now that we, we often have video on, but, but I don't, I like not thinking about that. I like being just a voice, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I realized that I wanted to help support people more. So I started doing Instagram lives five days a week talking about, okay, here's what I did today in my writing. What did you do today? Cause it was yeah. the best way I knew to show up. And I was like, oh God, this is going to be really rough, but it was really beautiful and inspiring. Um, yeah. And I did it for 13 weeks, which was crazy as an introvert, but it, it was meaningful and there was a community in it. Yeah. But that to me felt like a different thing than, you know, am I, have I made the most uh, effective, you know, flat lay? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you were using social media in a very intentional and purposeful way where you're like, Hey, I'm here. Here's what I did today. What are you doing today? Let me know. Let's hold each other accountable. You went on, you posted, and then I would imagine you got off, you know, you weren't just kind of mindlessly scrolling around for hours and hours at a time. So yeah, that's another great point is if you are going to use social media, do it with great purpose, you know, get on there, say what you want to say, and then get out of there. <laughs> like, Don't let it consume the rest of your day. I want to bring in one other point from another one of your books, which I'm going to botch the title. I'm terrible at titles. I can remember the author or the title. And since I'm talking to you right now, I'm botching the title. We're going to be fully upfront, but you will get through this. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's called, you're going to survive. You're going to survive. Very and close. this is a side effect of being visible. And I, I recommend this book because a lot of the reasons people hesitate to be visible as writers and to step up and put themselves out there is often because their critic or the world or something else convinces you that something so awful is going to happen that you won't survive. And yeah. I think it's important as this, as another message about visibility that it may occasionally be painful to be visible, but I'm interested in your thoughts about why it's still worth it. You told us a beautiful story about why it's worth it last time with the CPR, but I, I want more. <laughs> why is it worth it? I mean, my, so my brother is a musician. Uh, he's a jazz musician and a composer and a wonderful artist who I admire so much and just a wonderful human being. And once upon a time when I was feeling pretty discouraged by some negative reviews that I had gotten for books I'd written, he, he gave me a pep talk and he basically said, you know, when you choose a creative path, like when you choose the path of the artist, the path of the writer, you're not just signing up for the exciting victories. You're not just signing up for praise you're also signing up for criticism, for one-star reviews, for rejection. You're signing up for all of it. And that's the path, you know, all of it. And that really stuck with me and reminded me, you know, 
whenever I get a piece of negative feedback or criticism or, or whatever, something that doesn't feel good, instead of letting it like ruin my year, I remind myself, I chose this path and this comes with it. You know, this comes with it. I signed up for all of it. Um, and I think that's a really nice balanced way to look at things. Um, also I've gotten to a point now where I've, you know, I, I'm at a point now where most of the time I can actually find the, the humor and like the hilarity in, in rejection and negative feedback. And so my brother and I do this game where if I ever get a really, really bad review for one of my books, which does happen, um, I email it to him and then he records himself reading it aloud, but like, <laughs> in a, like a hilarious voice, like in a weird accent or like he makes up some like monster voice or whatever. And, um, <laughs> we crack up, like it, 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 it removes all of the, like the, the tension from it. And then we can just laugh and be like, ah, oh, life. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it really helps. You should offer this as like a service for people because it's very <laughs> That would be so great. If he does, we will link to it happily. Sometimes I send them to him and I'm like, please, please, I need this today. And then he'll send it back and it's great. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That is the greatest idea. Yeah. Well, it's pretty I am so grateful that we had this time and to have such a multifaceted, important conversation about visibility and such a joy to have you as always. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I always love our conversations. You are so lovely. I love listening to your voice. I'm sorry that my dog got a little rambunctious. <laughs> you know, these pandemic times, we just gotta <laughs> make do with our home office situation, dogs and all. Um, yep. Maybe he has something to say and we just can't speak dog. So he, he might have made like a brilliant point. <laughs> well, if we say that everybody is welcome, he's got to be welcome too. <laughs> Right. <laughs> He's like, I'm visible. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram, where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing. Happy writing.